Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome one, welcome all to the court of the trashy royals where we assemble each week to reveal and revel in the tales of our betters behaving badly through all time. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, Alicia here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for today's episode. We have seen a lot of tragedy in the last months, in more recent centuries throughout England. But friends, I need to let you know it has always been that way in England. So far in English history, there have been eight Henrys who reigned as King of England through the centuries. We are going to get to all of the Hanks, but there's no better place to start at the beginning with the very first of the Hanks, Henry I of England. Makes sense. Today, it is the best story you've ever heard. There's so much trashy. Mysteries and lust and betrayals and murders and family sagas. And that's going to be in every episode coming in the next few weeks. This is the stuff. Before we begin, Hank One. We do have a few good nobles to thank for their support over at patreon.com slash trashy royals podcast. Getting all of our episodes a day early and ad free too. Huge thanks to JLZ, Michelle M, and Karis W for joining us over there. You rock. Holy cats, don't you ever. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are truly grateful for you and all of our Patreon supporters. We are grateful for you for gathering here for yet another trashy tale. I want you to find your TARDIS and climb in. We are taking a ride back almost a thousand years ago today. Hmm. Let us anon to Henry I of England. Good nobles, I'm going to try to keep myself from levitating off of this chair. (laughs) I love trashy history. Let's give a little backstory for how we arrive at Henry I of England becoming king in 1100. To do that, we need a little bit of world setting. We need to back up the bus to where it all begins. The Battle of Hastings. (laughs) 1066. Okay. King Harold, who is the last truly English king at the Battle of Hastings, is shot in the eye. Doesn't go great. Goes quick, though. (laughs) And here at the Battle of Hastings, 1066, we are now looking at the beginning of the trashy royal family in England being not at all English. Which is true today, too. I mean, I suppose less so at the moment, but and it yes. it has been this way mm-hmm. for a thousand years. There are some battles and putting down all the contenders. There are a few more contenders that have some trashy stories within the Battle of Hastings that we will talk about. But ultimately, it is William the Conqueror 
crowned on Christmas Day in 1066 in Westminster Abbey. Welcome to the House of Normandy. William, besides being William the Conqueror, his previous name was William the Bastard. We also know William the Conqueror as William the First. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give you the deal on Willie. Willie is the son of this guy called Robert the Magnificent. (laughs) So, narcissist much? Robert the Magnificent is the Duke of Normandy, which is kind of over in what we would think of as France, but Normandy is its own separate realm. But here's the thing. Robert the Magnificent is a single guy. He's not married. Hmm. And there's this really dreamy legend around the conception of William the Conqueror. So get a load of this. One night, Robert the Magnificent wakes to stare dreamily out his window and look at the moon, only to survey outside and see a woman dancing. And this woman becomes not Robert's wife, not Robert's queen, but his mistress, who is the mother who makes William the future conqueror of England, he is the son of the first dancing queen, which is rebranding if I've ever heard it. Yep. So this is how he becomes William the Bastard. Correct. Okay. Before he conquers anything. So good timing here for William the future conqueror. He is the cousin of the childless Edward the Confessor. So... William, even though illegitimate, between his father's claim on Normandy and his relation to Edward the Confessor, these are the two claims that William the Conqueror uses to try to take power. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it is his conquest over the other claimants that all have their own reasons for trying to take power. Willie conquers him. That's why he's Willie the Conqueror. Bill the Bastard. What I'm trying to tell you is that brute force still matters. Mm, Doesn't matter your claim, might makes right. Might makes right. That's what I was taught in AP European history. William, pre-conquering, needs a mate. Sure. Got to get yourself hitched. So lucky for the first Matilda, at least in our story today. We have a a number of Matildas. Yeah, they just waltz on through, don't they? (laughs) Our first waltzing Matilda today is Matilda of Flanders. Matilda of Flanders is an enormous deal in the mothers of history. Matilda is a mother of ten as the wife of William the Conqueror. Two of Matilda's children will become kings of England, William II, and our profile today, Henry I. Matilda is a daughter of Flanders, which I need to set in place for you. It's a super big deal in geography for the time. Flanders is modern-day Belgium, and Flanders at this time used to be kind of a backwater, but now its location is really coveted because we're trading in cloth. We've got cloth trade routes, and Flanders keeps the Scandinavian pirates, the Vikings, sort of at bay and out of England. Flanders is coming up as kind of a big deal in the 11th century. And it borders France, which I'm sure is significant for trade routes out Mm -hmm. of, yeah. Exactly. Nothing stands alone 
as countries go. Everybody's got agreements, good or bad, with everybody mm-hmm. else. So Matilda Flanders' mother, she is the daughter of the King of France. So it's not a shabby line. Matilda of Flanders is literally related to everyone in Europe because of her parents. Literally everyone. Matilda of Flanders is also very, very short. She's less than five feet tall, maybe four feet, four inches tall, as they have found in the excavation of her skeleton. She's good looking. She's stubborn. I think we would say tiny but mighty. Sure. That's got to be a HIPAA violation, though. More than likely, yes. (laughs) All right, Matilda of Flanders. She's a different kind of medieval lady. Back in Flanders, the first guy she falls for is actually an older, handsome nobleman with a shock of blonde hair who's been sent to do business in her daddy's court. And a young Matilda of Flanders essentially falls head over heels for this man. He's so dreamy. And once he takes off back to England... Matilda just writes him, hey, I want to marry you. This mostly causes an international incident because teenage girls don't do this to men in like it just noblemen. And as, as a noble herself, the idea would be that she would be married for strategic purposes, not because you think he's so lusty with his shock of blonde hair. Exactly. So that marriage isn't going to happen. That incident's kind of calmed down. And here comes William, still the bastard, not yet the conqueror, sniffing around. The marriage between William and Matilda of Flanders will happen in 1050, but not without its problems. Because Pope Leo IX is getting in the way. So as we talk about all these countries and nothing exists in a vacuum, Neither does the church. And the church is getting a little antsy. They got ants in their pants. They figure out they maybe need to exert some more power. Because England is now being pushed on by the Normans. There's a lot of stuff shifting. The church is, as we have seen through time, sometimes a little insecure about it all. Anywho, Pope Leo IX and the church decide. There is absolutely no way that we are going to waltz Matilda of Flanders in to marry William the Bastard. Matilda is connected. She's high-born. She's related to everyone. William is the child of a dancing goddess in the garden. The church is a firm no. The church believes this marriage would go against every single law about consanguinity that the church literally just made up to make sure this marriage doesn't happen. (laughs) You're violating these rules that we just made up. Sure. Now, one of those rules being, get a load of this, back in the 11th century about consanguinity, you can't be within seven degrees of relations. And they had never even heard of Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Think about this, though. Seven relations? Seven degrees? Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Especially well, in these royal families, that's yeah. That's never going to happen in European royalty. Yeah, they're all cousins. So the church basically just banned marriage for nobles. Well, they banned marriage thinking there's no way if we pass these rules, William and Matilda can get married. They were related maybe three degrees, William and Matilda, in a way that was not biologically compromising, 
But the two are going to get married anyway, properly witnessed and everything. Matilda and William tell Pope Leo IX to go pound sand. William marries Matilda of Flanders in 1053. So Matilda is around for the conquering part. They are married about 13 years before the Battle of Hastings. By then, 1066, Matilda and William have nine kids. And Matilda as a wife, she's super successful for the period of the time. She is the medieval queen. First up, Matilda has four boys, all one after the other. Wow. Huge success. She's pious. She's good. Matilda Flanders, tiny but mighty. With all those kids, there are four that will concern us when it comes to trashy handoffs of power when William the Conqueror dies. They do have their eldest son. He dies before anything can happen with the eldest son, Hmm. which leaves three other boys. And then there's one daughter that's going to matter. So let's break this down. And let's break it down when we get to the death of William the Conqueror, because that's when this really matters. Okay. Our eldest son still remaining, he's Robert. He gets the Duchy of Normandy. This is a snub from his father. William the Conqueror doesn't think Robert is going to be a great king of England. He's going to send him back to Normandy, which pretty much runs itself. And the oldest son, which you would think would get the kingship of England. Sure. Doesn't. Doesn't. He's back over in Normandy. You know, the wine's better, the food's better, the climate's better. Come on. You think he... You won, Robert. You won this thing. Robert doesn't think he won. Because what has William the Conqueror done? William the Conqueror has gone to his second son, Red-Haired William. Not very original in the name. His other name at this point is William Rufus. William Rufus is going to be the next king, William II. Okay. William the Conqueror hands it to his middle son. Here you go, Willie Rufus. You're the king of England. There's one more son, Mm -hmm. the baby son, the youngest son, Henry. Henry gets 5,000 pounds and a good luck, kid. Wow. (laughs) It's not going to go great. Henry thinks, in Henry's estimation, that he would be a better king than either one of his brothers. And Henry doesn't really understand how his father, William the Conqueror, would pass over leaving England to the first son, primogeniture, to go to the second son, because if you met Willie Rufus, dad, what about me? Oh, I see. So because dad skipped primogeniture, Henry's like, well, I guess primogeniture's not all that important. That's exactly right. Who's to say? Henry gets his right to rule from what's sort of known as purple. I'm in the family. I'm the most qualified. This firstborn nonsense doesn't really mean anything. You should look at the talent pool you have as opposed to birth order. Okay, so we've talked about the three boys. Robert has Normandy. Willie Rufus, now William II, King of England. Henry, his 5,000 pounds. Primogeniture off the table. (laughs) Off the table. The last of these children, speaking of primogeniture off the table, is a daughter. Her name is Adela. Adela is going to marry a man named Stephen. He is the Count of Blois. (laughs) B-L-O-I-S. 
They have a son also named Stephen. This is going to be important later. Mm-hmm. Their son, Stephen, I'm calling him Cousin Steve Okay. for our purposes in this story from this point on. So it all breaks down this way. Nobody likes what they get. No son likes what they get. Henry's mad about the 5,000 pounds, and Henry is working to get his oldest brother, Robert, in Normandy really mad. If I can make you big mad enough, I can get you to leave Normandy and come over and try to take over what should be rightfully yours, brother. Why are you just letting Willie Rufus do this? Primogeniture. Willie Rufus, King of England, because Henry's working on him too. Hey, Willie Rufus, you should have Normandy too. And I don't know if you know this, but Robert's about to come over and try to take England. And Willie Rufus is like, psh, you want to play it that way, Robert? I'll take back Normandy, too. What I need you to know is that baby brother Henry He's is just playing all the sides. The yeah. Pot. Yeah. He is into this war between his older brothers. He's always in the middle of gossip, stirring the pot, putting them against each other. For Henry, it's all fun and games and switching sides if his future power is on the line. So Robert, oldest brother in Normandy, just kind of gets done with this. And he's like, I have other things to do, like hang out with God. Normandy kind of runs itself. I think I'm going to pack it on up and go out on crusade. Fantastic. Willie Rufus, number two, back in England, now has his younger brother, Henry, becoming his bestest, bestest friend. But it's all shady. The only side that Henry is ever on is Henry's side. Loves to stir. That bucket of discontent, which is not hard to do in England, as Willie Rufus, King William II, is not married. William II is described as all things that are loathsome Mm. to God and earnest men. I see. So Willie Rufus is likely gay. Super gay. Is that what we're saying? Uh Uh-huh. So the nobles aren't exactly clamoring to marry their eldest daughter to the new king because... He is loathsome and always in the eyes of God. Okay. I want us to close our eyes and visualize one fateful day in New Forest in 1100. This is after 12 years on the throne. It is August 2nd, a lovely summer day, and also the scene of a crime. Willie Rufus is out with his hunting party. He's having some fun hanging out in New Forest when all of a sudden this mysterious... Random single arrow comes to shoot Willie dead in New Forest at the age of 44 years old. Wow, the King of England was just assassinated in the Arrow woods. to the heart. Wow. Shot to the heart. Sure. And who's to blame? Uh-huh. Now, no one knows who fired the fatal arrow, but I do want to let you know that William Rufus's ever-helpful younger brother Henry was in that hunting party in the woods that day. Also, William's companion that was with him that day flees after the death of William. Now, here's what's super shady. Is all the people in the hunting party, after William is found, dead, arrow in the heart, the hunting party just takes off. They Audi 5000 out of there just leaving William 
on the ground where he was. Oh, wow. That just seems... Shady. Yeah, like, not... Okay, so this was... This was an ambush, really, probably. Uh, okay, so the hunting party, most of them, all except for one, flee to parts unknown. All except for, guess who? Henry. You got it, younger brother Henry, who immediately hightails it to Winchester. What's in Winchester? The Bank of England. Oh. All the money. The keys to the kingdom. <laughs> well, at least he understands how power works. <laughs> Henry hightails it to Winchester and is telling the council in Winchester that, hey, guess what? I'm going to rule by this purple thing. We don't even need Willie anyway. We don't need Robert. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. So the council is in the process of electing Henry King. But William's body's still there. So here come a group of peasants through New Forest <laughs> The following day. Gonna go sell our cheese or whatever. They're just traveling right to Winchester mm-hmm. to sell their wares. Bunch of hobbits. Need uh, some potatoes. Right. I don't know. And there's a body. It's not just a body. It's the body of the king. And they're like, well, we can't leave. The king is here dead in the forest. Let's load the king up onto our cart. Please don't bleed on our cheeses. King's long past bleeding. King is D-E-A-D. <laughs> so they load the king, Willie Rufus, up on the cart, and they head towards Winchester. So you can imagine it's an awful lot like the Spider-Man meme where everybody's pointing oh, sure. at everybody because here is Henry convincing the council to make him king. I've got the keys to the bank. Here comes... William's body, hey, we found the right. king to Winchester. Just passing through, and look what we found. Henry is in such a rush to get to the royal treasury and get crowned. Henry has himself crowned without the benefit of the archbishop. Hmm. That's how hot Henry is to get himself on the throne. By the time Willie's body comes back, it's terrible. He is not given a Christian burial. He is interred in Winchester Abbey, but not with any kind of honor. Poor William II. Most of England is like, eh, let's be done with the gay king already. (laughs) Winchester Abbey burns later, and even at that time, no one really cares about the corpse of Willie Rufus. Huh. Welcome to the summer of 1100, and we have a new king. We have arrived now at the first of our eight Henrys of England. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get deeper into Hank 1. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh. Somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number. Thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them. They stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. 
crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. So what happens to Brother Robert over in Jerusalem or whatever crusading when word reaches him of the haps in England? Simmer down. Simmer down. (laughs) I got this. Summer, 1100. Primogeniture. Let's take Henry I, Hank I, going back up. He was born in 1068. And before he becomes Henry I, King of England, you got a bunch of names, of course, that get you to your title. Henry I was known before that as Henry Beauclerc. This is uh, translated to fine scholar. But he's also known to people as Henry the Swat, just because he's such a prat. People hate him. (laughs) Okay. He's taking over might makes right. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take over because he's charming or gregarious or, no, he just, the lust of power. Henry I used to be the Swat, used to be the fine scholar, will go on to rule for 35 years, but what a 35 years it was. Henry assumes his throne at the age of 32. When he does this, he makes a charter not to overtax the tenants on lands or the church. But when he actually assumes the throne and gets his hot little hands on the crown, he pulls a switcheroo. (laughs) And the thing that Henry I does that we're going to see over and over and over again, rulers do in time. Henry I originates a thing. And that thing is the... The crown has changed me. I am not human anymore. Ah, yes. I am now divine. Divine right of kings. That's exactly right. That's Henry I. My touch is magical. And this divine authority that has been invested in me allows me to do this thing called touching for the king's evil that will go on for another 700 years. Like when your kings bless your rosary, they like they almost channel like the Pope does if sure. you have an audience with the Pope. Right. Divine authority. Nonsense. Okay. This is going to go on, though, for another 700 years, thanks Henry I. And I guess it's all about finding a way to make friends. So you ask about older brother Robert. Mm-hmm. He's been out on the first crusade. Enjoying even better food. Gets a little telegram. Guess what your younger brother's done now, right? Robert is like, yikes, this can't be great. So Henry assumes in 1100. In 1101, Robert kind of comes on back to challenge his brother for the throne. It doesn't go great. There's another challenge for England in 1106, but that's a no-go too. It goes bad. Robert survives this battle, but at this point has to swear fealty to his brother. And then Robert is locked up for the next mm, 28 plus something years and dies a lonely and imprisoned death. Henry I is not kind to his brother. It's a good thing Normandy runs itself. Well, not anymore. Because while Robert is otherwise occupied in his long and lonely incarceration, Henry I is going to take over Normandy as well. Sure. So now Henry I is in charge of England and Normandy. I will say, I think his claim for Normandy at that point is probably pretty strong. Well, if you have your brother locked up. I mean, 
All right. Old Hank one is going to have a little marriage when he assumes the throne of England. Now, the thing I want you to know is that Henry has got enemies on all sides. France, the church, Scotland. <laughs> like, it is, it's kind of tense. And England here is shifting into becoming its own power. Not just ruled by the Romans, not just ruled by a bunch of medieval lords, but coming into something that is looking like its own culture. But Henry I realizes that he really needs to solidify his power base in England if he's going to hold on to what he's worked so hard to attain. Keep in mind, 1106, when Robert's attempt fails, is only 50 years after Battle of Hastings, 1066. In 50 years, William the Conqueror from Normandy has come to seize England. Under Henry I, now King of England, he's coming back to seize Normandy. This begins sort of the time of seize or be seized. Again, medieval kings, brute force, might makes right, that's going to win the day, but all of these power shifts are happening. England is opening its eyes to what kind of power it could have in its own right. Oh, I see. So by claiming Normandy, that puts it in tension with the King of France, who again had been the umbrella leader of all of the various duchies. England's moving out of backwater time. Yep. We're we're gonna we're solidifying as now some kind of national culture, identity, something. Yeah. Cause it used to sort of be the appendix of France, I believe. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. I want to stick here with Henry because it's time for him to get married. Wedding bells are ringing. Right after his coronation, Henry I is going to marry Matilda of Scotland. We have another Matilda waltzing Waltzing in. in. Yep. This Matilda of Scotland is also known as Good Queen Maud. Matilda has nothing to do with her original name. Matilda of Scotland is born as Edith. That is her name. Edith. Edith of Scotland. Okay. So Edith Matilda, for our purposes in the story, there are a lot of Matildas and I don't want to have anyone confused. Edith, soon to be Matilda, Matilda of Scotland. She goes by Edith until she needs a more English name in the way the English love to rebrand, right? The the Battenbergs become the Mountbattens. Edith will become Matilda. Edith Matilda has a little bit of a line into my very favorite Shakespeare play and historical story. Matilda is the daughter of the Scottish king, Malcolm III, who is the one who kills Mac B, the Scottish king, back in the half century before this. Interesting. All that's happening around the same time. As the Battle of Hastings, I'm going to follow up on that story. It's Mm -hmm. just, ah, so good. Little bit of a Scottish King Mac B connection with Matilda of Scotland. Edith, soon to be Matilda of Scotland, grows up in the Scottish court. Her mother is dedicated to bringing Edith up in the way that a royal girl should be. Back at Edith's baptism... Apparently, little Edith baby hands reaches out for the royal headdress, and this becomes an omen 
of a bright future for little Edith Matilda. Mm-hmm. Right? The three fairies show up. I bless this child with right. the gift of... Now, unfortunately for little Edith, this is terrible. At the age of six, Edith Matilda of Scotland gets sent to an abbey. Her aunt has just been promoted to abbess of the abbey, but her aunt is a straight-up sociopath. Her aunt is cruel to little six-year-old Edith all the time. Loads on heaps of abuse, all kinds. Physical, verbal, mental. Poor Edith. The abbess of an aunt is determined to make Edith a nun. And surprisingly enough, her plan of pain to encourage this goal does not work with Edith Matilda of Scotland. Little Edith, no wonder, develops a lifelong hatred of nuns and veils. So maybe abbess aunt wants Edith to be a nun, but... Edith Matilda's father, King Malcolm, is like, that is not going to happen. Yeah, this is a marriageable girl. That's not going to happen. I have a husband already picked out for you. They don't send girls to convents at this time to be nuns. They just send them to stash them away because you got brute men traveling the country. Look, Yeah, enemies on all sides. Good yeah, Lord. so we'll just have the daughter off. It's boarding school, basically, yeah. Boarding school supervised by a bunch of nuns. Sort of a safe boarding school in theory. Well, you'd like to think, but hold on to that because that's going to come back around. So, Malcolm III is like, psh, aunt, simmer on down. I already have a husband ready for my daughter Matilda. This is Alan the Red. He is also the Count of Richmond. He is one of the largest landowners in England and everything should be fine. And here comes Alan the Red, coming to the nunnery in Wilton, where Edith now is grown up, holed up, in a surprising, (laughs) couldn't have planned it happening, Alan the Red, coming to get Edith, ends up kidnapping another lady from the convent. Her name is Gunhilda. Gunhilda is a Saxon princess. She's the daughter of Hal Godwinson. Because you just got privileged daughters of all kinds of people hanging out in the abbey. It's a dangerous time. Lock up your women. So Edith... But not in an abbey, apparently. Not in an abbey. So Edith, still hanging out in the abbey. (laughs) Alan the Red escaping with Gunhilda. Guess what happens? This whole episode is like crime scene. A few days later, Alan the Red, just dead. Just, they find him dead a few days later in the forest. Don't mess with a Saxon princess, Hmm. perhaps. The thinking is maybe Gunhilda killed him once she escaped for her freedom. But again, not the story. Let's get back to Henry the first wife, Edith Matilda of Scotland. She's got a few other suitors. So I'm guessing she's not the best looking kid at the convent. (laughs) Like that her suitor would... Run off with another young woman there. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Edith Matilda's mother, Margaret of Wessex, is like, okay, now we're not going to call you Edith anymore. You are destined for a queenship. Things have shifted. After your father banished Lord M back in 1057, we're now at the turn of the century. Perhaps now that Normandy has made its claim on England, we want something a little more Norman- 
for your name. Maybe it's the throne of England that's going to be yours, dear Edith. You are now Matilda. Once Henry I gets to the throne, he's got to have this key piece to line up control to have him tighten up his other realms. And that key is an Anglo-Saxon bride. And it can't, right, just be any Anglo-Saxon bride. We got to have a few things with assurances. I would definitely rethink the Gunhilda option. (laughs) Well, here's the requirements, right? You got to be the mother of future kings. You need to have noble blood. Your claim needs to assist my claim. Mm -hmm. Henry I lands on rebranded Matilda of Scotland. The lovers marry without any problems, right, from the church? No! Yeah, I was going to say, I doubt that. Here the church, helpfully, not, steps in again. And this time it is not consanguinity. This time the church comes in with an objection based on all that time Edith Matilda spent in the nunnery. The church says, hey. She's one of us. Edith, when you were there, yeah, you're one of us now. You've had the Kool-Aid. You have the t-shirt. You took vows. And those vows are lifelong. The church says, Matilda, you know the veil. Essentially, the church doesn't want Henry I to ally with Scotland. They're trying to shut all of that down now, saying Edith, Matilda of Scotland, is in no way available to even be married. She's off the market. She's ineligible because she's already married to Jesus from her spending her childhood in religious houses. Sure. I mean, bigamy is not great. They're going to bring Edith, (laughs) Matilda of Scotland, to court to testify. And she's like, yeah, I wore veils. Do you know why we wore veils? We had to protect ourselves from the men. I was roommates with this girl named Gunhilda, (laughs) and men were always trying to sneak in. We had to wear veils to hide ourselves from all of these pillagers of nasty men throughout England. Wow. <laughs> well, then it begs the question, did Alan the Red grab the wrong girl thinking they like, oh no, everybody's in a veil. So Edith Matilda continues about her time in the convent, like, You might have thought I took vows there, but let me tell you about my terrible aunt who beat me, who abused me in numbers of ways. Like, women are taking shelter in convents and nunneries. I mean, invaders and men all over, and they're drunk, and they have weapons, and they're looking for trouble. England's not in the real peaceful vibe. Women, daughters of privileged people, Mm -hmm. take refuge in convents. It's sanctuary. Lock them up. Okay, so from this trial and Edith Matilda testifying, this ends up getting the law changed. And hey, Edith Matilda of Scotland can get married after all. There's a big to-do at Westminster proclaiming that Edith sure can marry our king. And sure enough, they're already there at Westminster and everybody's dressed up and we've already taken the jewels out of the vault. So... Henry the first day as well. Edith Matilda get married that same day. The dress was already on. She's crowned efficient, super efficient planning. I appreciate that as an efficient kind of gal. One and done. England, the people welcome Henry the first and Matilda of Scotland. 
They are called Godric and Godiva <laughs> in their day. So after Willie Rufus, gay king, Godric and Godiva, Henry and Matilda, take us to some kind of recreation or invention of English values. Yeah. Here's the couple. They're settled. They're beginning to Mm -hmm. build what England's going to look like. They're just like us. And wouldn't you love to have a beer with that bloke? (laughs) Well, Matilda makes Hank tolerable. We're going to talk about that in just one second. But Hank is always still playing for power. Mm -hmm. Never forget that. Well, once a schemer, always a schemer. Always a schemer. So Robert comes back in 1101 and 1106. So during all of those times of Henry trying to fight to keep power and increase his power, Edith Matilda of Scotland has two children, Matilda and William Adeline. There is one other son, Robert, but that son does not reach adulthood. Okay, two kids, Matilda, Willie. Fun fact here, though, even though Henry and Edith Matilda of Scotland have three kids, that is nothing on the number of illegitimate kids that Henry I has. You want to take a guess at just the amount of illegitimate children of Henry I? Oh, I'm going to go with 18. 24, so close. Nine sons, 15 daughters. Hmm. Trash. Hank one, nowhere near faithful. Sure. (laughs) Henry I... In one of his claims to fame, he is the first king that begins to move the court of England. This is life without a permanent home. Henry's going to split his time between England and Normandy. And when he does that, Henry gets some judges. He's going to put in a new system of moderation in England to keep everything at bay while he's over in Normandy. So he gets this whole judge system. This system is run by the Bishop of Salisbury. And wow, this system isn't great. It's harsh. <laughs> this is the the new rules. This new system says you are absolutely guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. Oh. Not the other way around. Right. little inversion. This is a little bit of blood and circuses. There is a new bloodlust for justice. And again, England, been pillaged for years, like certainly get a control on things, but we're taking, whoa, overreach here. There's some real governmental overreach with these judges taking the role of the king when the king's not there. It's complicated. It's the beginning of something. It's not going to go great. We've got judges and laws and, and a since king. right they're acting in the name of the crown and the crown has the power invested by god and so if they we're a long way off from the magna carta but sure. again everything's sort of brewing in this time frame it's starting to come together by falling apart <laughs> let another little fun fact here henry the first needs cash he needs full coffers that's typically the key to running an effective kingdom Henry I is the guy that starts the exchequer. So twice a year, all the sheriffs, all the royal officials have to bring in their money and have it counted. And it's all done on this board called an exchequer. There's a guy who does it. He's the chancellor of the exchequer. 
It's a checkerboard. It's a checkerboard. I mean, this is why we write checks today is because mm-hmm. of Henry the First doing his exchequer thing. Doing his, doing his checking. Well, you have to know how much money you have in your kingdom. Of course. Hank is not an idiot. Also, during this time in his reign, there's a lot happening. Henry will begin to control and colonize Wales. Mm. What does Henry do with the Welsh? He sends three of Edith Matilda of Scotland's brothers over to be Welsh kings. I need to let you know England is doing great right now because of Edith Matilda. She makes her husband, Henry the Swat, tolerable. She makes him better. Edith Matilda is the power behind the throne. She's influential. She has the social graces to impose his ideas. Is that sort of... To a certain extent. She's the middleman. She's the charm. She has finesse. Henry I doesn't love that Edith Matilda has had a lot of experience with men in a brutal world and knows how to navigate that. But also, now being a queen, Edith Matilda has a court, which means women are at court, which means men behave better, where they drink less and they don't just pee on the walls. You know, the basics when girls are around if you're lucky. Edith Matilda has taken notes from all of the women who have come before her, and she knows the queen is, of course, important for bearing sons. But the queen is also important for bringing better, kinder, gentler virtues into the court. Edith Matilda of Scotland is kind of the perfect English queen. And... It's not just court, because, I mean, we can pee on walls all day, but you got to do something to keep the court occupied. And Edith Matilda here is going to take the English court to a whole new level, introducing art, literature, music. She's bringing culture into the court in England, which just so far has been kind of a medieval backwater. This is a Beginning of a renaissance in England. England's about to become a place that will have a court. Edith Matilda of Scotland is the one that brings culture to England. It is not her husband doing this. Right. So she's hiring musicians to come and entertain court and pastry chefs to bring sweet things to feed everyone. And okay. Edith Matilda is the power behind the throne. Let me show you what a book looks like. Okay. So remember, Henry... Edith, Matilda, have two kids. First of those kids is a daughter, Matilda. Matilda is sent off to Germany at the tender age of eight to marry Henry V, who is not only the king of Germany, but also the Holy Roman Emperor, making little eight-year-old Matilda Empress Matilda. In 1116, Henry I is going to lift up his son, William To be the prince of all princes. William is now a teenager. This would be equivalent to the Prince of Wales role today. Yes, the Prince of Wales was not yet invented. We're going to get there. Right, because they, yeah, they've just dispatched (laughs) a bunch of Scottish brothers to be kings of Wales, but the heir presumptive. Heir presumptive, you got it. There's a big ceremony. Mm -hmm. All the nobles come. They swear fealty to... Prince William being the next person to take over after Henry I. He's a teenager. He's handsome. 
he's lauded and all the tales. It's going to go so great. But maybe this is the first lesson of air and despair. Ah, oh, Henry has it all. Beautiful wife, power behind the throne, daughter sitting as the empress, son ready to take over when Henry does bite it. Everything's great in England. Everybody should be feeling groovy, but then the hits start coming for Henry I. We're going to take another quick break here to come back to wrap up this portion of the story. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number. Thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them. They stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh. Somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Oh, the hits are going to start coming. Tell me about the poor tell me about Hank the hits. One. Yeah. yeah, well, Mayday, 1118, Henry the First wife. I would say beloved, but, you know, 24 illegitimate children. Edith Matilda of Scotland will die in Westminster uh. in 1118. 47,000 masses are said for her soul. Oh, wow. She was really kind of the perfect medieval queen. Sure. She is beloved. She is mourned. And so <sighs> some, yeah. some luster comes off that king a bit, I guess. Well, Henry's not going to like waste too much time. He's going to get married one more time after this to Adeliza of Louvain. But no kids happen from that marriage. Henry I doesn't waste a lot of time in the mourning of Edith Matilda of Scotland. That's 1118. That's bad. But we're going to make it worse. 1120. Prince William, ready to take over. Prince mm -hmm. William, the prince of all princes. Yeah. He's the best prince that ever princed. Old Prince William is planning to travel in his own boat with all of his buddies on a voyage but before they set off on the voyage, it is real important to have a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boat drinks. So many boat drinks. Prince William and all of his buddies decide they're going to have a little party before they take off across the channel loaded with coolers and coolers of boat drinks. Now, on this vessel, there are priests and holy men who were there to bless the voyage before they take off. And the priests come to do all their blessing, and they see all the boat drinks and the state of the crew. And the priests are like, mm, you guys sure maybe about this? Maybe you don't take off before that. Maybe you don't party. Maybe you sleep it off, leave tomorrow. 100%. This isn't a great idea. <laughs> I feel like there's an important lesson about drinking and driving that's coming for us right here. We don't feel really great about blessing this voyage of debauchery and sin. Y'all are all terrible playboys. Maybe you need some caution. Willie and his crew just toss the priests overboard. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> we can take care of this problem real quick. So... There's a lot of drinking this particular night. And I want to re-enter into our frame. Cousin Steve. Mm. Grandson of William the Conqueror. Cousin Steve is 
cousin to Prince William too. Sure. And cousin Steve is seeing this whole sitch on board and he's like, whoa, I've had enough purple passions. I'm going to leave the boat now and go sleep on the land mm-hmm. tonight because mm-hmm. even I'm a little, uh, I, I, I don't feel good about this. I, yeah, if you're taking the keys, I'm not getting in this car. Cousin Steve is out. He's going to find a different Uber <laughs> to the place. So this night, the whole crew of Prince Willie and all of his playboy wannabe pirates get sloppy drunk. So drunk that they decide in the middle of the night, it's a great time to take off across the English Channel. So bunch of drunk crew, 50 oars, pound and triple time. Now from where they're taking off, there's a real big famous rock that's kind of like the oh no rock. Everybody knows about the oh no rock. It sits in the mouth of the harbor. It's the most famous rock in the whole harbor. This is how fast and drunk the crew of Prince Willie is going. 50 oars, pound and triple time. The rock everybody knows about, Prince William and his crew don't care about. They smash into that rock and now the boat is in smithereens. All the people back on land that would have the ability to help them don't. Because they have been having the rowdiest party all night long and they just think enough with it already Prince William and his crew screaming for help, Mm -hmm. dying. Yeah, drowning. Yeah. Literally, Cousin Steve and everybody on land is like, oh, are y'all ever going to shut down this party? No one ever comes to help. All right. What happens? Prince William and crew all mostly dead. Out. Okay. Mm -hmm. This actually brings about the end of Henry I ever smiling again. He never smiles again. No one wants to tell Henry I that his beloved Prince William, his son, yep. his heir is dead. I mean, Just, yeah. what what do we do now? Debauched his way into death. And here's Henry. My wife, of all things good, isn't around to coach me. My heir is dead. It is just abject. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. But I do have a daughter. Oh, the Empress Matilda over in Germany. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all hope is not lost. Obi-Wan, right? Henry I has used Matilda and his power plays since she was an eight-year-old. He still has a daughter. So Henry I is like, hey, daughter Empress Matilda will now be my heir presumptive. Henry I has taken over England not being the first child, just through sheer right and Matilda is his daughter, and she's absolutely as good as a man. So Hank I is going to bring Matilda, his daughter, back, and all of his barons and nobles, with all the pomp and circumstance, just like he did with Prince Willie in 1920. This is also how the series House of Dragons begins, by the way. Just like Prince Willie back in 1120, Matilda comes back in 1126, gets the whole ceremony. They all swear fealty to Matilda. Henry, once you bite it, Matilda's our girl. Signed, sealed, delivered. Empress Matilda, you are it. And that is the way Henry I thinks it's all going to go down. It does not go down this way. 
Let us arrive at 1135 when Henry dies from a parasitic fish at the age of 67. Henry's not supposed to eat this kind of fish. I think it's a lamprey. He gets sick every time he eats this kind of fish. And the doctors are like, dude, don't eat this fish. It is terrible for you. And Henry's like, man, I need the fish. So against all of doctor's warnings, after 35 years on the throne, Henry and his love of the fish takes him down. After 35 years on the throne, Henry I, dead. Long live the queen. Empress Matilda's there. All things should proceed as Henry I planned. But history does not go down the way Henry I wants it to. And that story is coming for you in next week's Trashy Royals episode. Amazing. Ah. Is this why the royal family today is barred from eating shellfish? And are they just like seafood avoidant because of poor Henry I? What do they say? The body keeps the score? Yeah. Generational trauma? Perhaps. Yeah. Royal family today in England is forbidden from eating shellfish, perhaps because of Henry I. Thank y'all, everybody, for tuning in today and spending your time with us. We really appreciate you coming in to join us for this journey on Trashy Royals. We appreciate your kind emails, your reviews, your support on Patreon, too. Oh, and also telling your friends about Trashy Royals. Y'all rock. Until next Thursday, you can check out more trashy goodness over on our other podcast, Trashy Divorces, or... You can check out some high society trashy stuff over on Done and Done. Until we meet again next week. Keep your eye on the throne. For real, it's about to get real sticky in Mm -hmm. the coming episodes. (laughs) Yes, polish up those crowns, friends, and we'll see you next week. Have a terrific week, friends. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye.